Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Tech Sideline is presented by First Bank and Trust Company. They offer free checking with industry-leading mobile banking. Who you choose to bank with can make all the difference. Visit firstbank.com to learn more. What's going on, Hokie Nation? Hey, believe it or not, it's actually National Signing Day for football. Women's basketball got a big one coming up down in Raleigh on Thursday against number three NC State. And then men's basketball. What's going on? Can we make one final push for the postseason? It's all coming up on episode 346 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. And it starts right now. We record on Wednesday, February 7th, 2024, from our studio right here at the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. Remember to like, subscribe, and refer the show to a friend, and head over to techsideline.com. Check out our extensive editorial content, and as always, the first month of subscriptions is free. I'm your host, Giovanni Heater. Across the way, our managing editor, Mr. David Cunningham. To my right, Chris Coleman, our lead analyst and columnist. And sitting in the fourth chair today, our senior staff writer, Andy Bitter. Behind the scenes producing today, Jay Briz, as they call him. Jack Briz and Dine, appreciate him as always. Tech Sideline is presented by First Bank and Trust Company. This episode of the TSL podcast is also brought to you by Triumph NIL. Triumph is a unique and experienced sports marketing agency specializing in building custom name, image, and likeness partnerships for student-athletes. NIL is working here at Virginia Tech, and Triumph NIL is a big reason as to why. Visit triumphnil.com to learn more, subscribe, and support the Hokies in NIL. Well, let's start, gentlemen, today by talking a little bit of football content, as we always do. It goes completely under the radar, but today is actually National Signing Day. It felt like we got it all out of the way with early signing period uh, early on in December. We did get it all out of the way. Yeah. Because nothing's going to happen today, as far as I know. Um, if you look, I think, on 247 Sports, if you just look at the top 100 guys, they, they've all signed. Maybe a few of those signed this morning. I, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, this is the signing day that nobody ever talks about because hardly anything ever happens on this date every year now. This used to be like a national holiday mm-hmm. for, like, the hardcore college football fans where, you know, you get to the offseason, there's nothing going on. And then all of a sudden, like, 30 guys sign at your school and they, they – Trump, they, it used to be, they come in on the fax machines and then the schools would announce them one by one. And then like, this is before Twitter, before all that stuff. Like this was the day of days in the off season. And now it's just like an afterthought. There's nothing going on. Everybody's moved on to the 2025 class and even beyond that uh, in some cases. And if you haven't, you're behind right now. So it's really interesting how recruiting has evolved like that. This used to be like a really it, fun but obnoxious day early in February just because you'd have to wake up at you know 5 a.m. and you knew it was gonna be a long day and now they kind of cram it into the bowl game where it gets lost a little bit in the shuffle and uh, just I, I don't know it's not quite as neat as it used to be I think and yeah think about it well think about how many of the kids tech signed in this class that like in the, in in previous years would have signed today mm-hmm. a bunch of them are enrolled already right like they're they're going through they're in class right now so like that's that's another big difference it is and uh yeah like andy said this used to be the day it kind of uh killed the boredom between the end of football season and the start of spring practice and now they've decided it's a great idea to just dump everything on everybody the week before christmas (laughs) right in the middle of basketball season you know brilliant well i think even as recently as like what was your dax signed is that 2018 I think he signed on the February dates. I mean, even somebody of like that caliber 
uh, would have signed as that late. And then, mm-hmm. you know, most of the classes signed on the early date. Now everybody signs in December. Like unless you're, you're undecided about a coaching change or something, you know, flips the last second you sign in December and, and, you know, move on with your life. So I don't know. I'm getting kind of wistful about the old February yeah. signing day, even though I used to hate it because it was just like, Oh my gosh, such overkill in, the, in, the, in a downtime of the season. I kind of miss it now because there's nothing going on right now. I know, uh, I know, Pry, uh, when he was with Franklin at Vanderbilt, they started doing the uh, the like signing day show. Were they doing that for like the February signing day? I, I'm pretty were. sure it was the February. Was, I remember day. watching. Well, it, they didn't but, have the December signing yeah. day back. I remember then. watching it because they stole a recruit from Tech on signing day. It was a quarterback. Right? It was Lafonte Thoroughgood <laughs> from uh, from the seven five seven. And that was the world was ending when that happened. The world oh my gosh, was ending. They're losing quarterback recruits to Vanderbilt. For, pretty sure he never of, played it. They moved yeah. him within a few <laughs> weeks. They moved him to running back, and I don't think he ever played it down at Vanderbilt. But the world was ending. But I, well, what struck me was like I watched a video of when his LOI came in and uh, to Vanderbilt and they had started their whole signing day war room thing where, uh, where they were all, you know, Vanderbilt filmed them getting the faxes. That was still back when they faxed things and stuff like that. I want to say the God, that was probably like the 2012 class, 2013 class, something like that. It's been a while. Baby face Brent Pry there without a beard, without a beard. Yeah. Hazel comes in like because <laughs> he was on, on that staff yeah. as well coming in. Uh, Michael Hazel, the chief of staff here now, was mm-hmm. I don't know what what he was at Vanderbilt at that time. Yeah, were, I think he was one of the guys bringing in the names to give them to James Frank. I think you're right. Um, so the current tech staff was trend setting at Vanderbilt at the time, and we were all angry about it at the time because they they were still in yeah, our quarterback recruit. I just think it's so funny because it's like if you're a high school kid, why wouldn't you sign in December? If like say you're you're a high school kid and you're signing with Virginia Tech, you you wouldn't want to miss out on being part of the big show, right? Right. Like, why would you wait and, and make your decision in February when you could do it in December? And unless you had a late late coaching change somewhere, yeah. or you just really didn't know where you wanted to go, uh, yeah. I mean, it's like, well, even thinking about it in, in as a like a regular student. Like, I don't think they're doing early decision stuff anymore at Tech in the future, right? But but in, in the past, it's always early decision. I think I accepted at Virginia Tech in, like, December. I did, too. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh, rather, than, rather than waiting. I don't know. Gio, what did you – Here? Yeah. I was uh, – what is the between early decision? I was early decision to uh, a different school that we're not allowed to talk about anymore, then kind of backed out of that. <laughs> I was early action – Early action here. <laughs> decommitted. You flipped. You're not loyal. Uh, I, I, there was a flippage. Um, early action. What's that? Like in between, yeah. right? Yeah. Was this the University of Upstate New York? Is the, that what you're referring to? Yeah, it, something okay. around Onondaga, something. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> so, somewhere in that territory. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but it's so interesting because it's like not a lot of, like, not a lot of stuff's late anymore. Everybody, everybody does it early. It, yeah. Like whether you're regular students or recruiting and. Um, I don't know it's very weird because like for basketball and stuff like a lot of those kids they're signing days earlier and they sign in like October November it's like you get to Christmas and basically all the athletes know where they're going except for football and then it's like okay football finally signs it's just, it's changed so much over the years. Well, Andy was just talking about how everyone kind of has already flipped the script to the 2025 recruiting class. Hokies have done just that for the most part. Visiting season is in the full swing of things. Uh, Chris, any updates for us on next year's class with the visits coming on? You know, Tech's out and going out into high schools like they normally do in visiting, but they're also host, hosting visitors anywhere from the class of 2025 through I've even seen like a class of 2027 guy committed and. No, I'm not going to do articles in 2027, guys, at this point. That'd be a little bit extreme. But, you know, here's a few names to uh, to keep in mind and, and one trend. I, I think Tech, going back to last year's offensive line class, they're kind of targeting with offensive line with bigger frames. Uh, and one example is uh, Skylar Harvey. I think he's from Maryland. He's visited recently 6'7", 330 pounds. Um, big, big guy already. Um, Jalen Gilchrist, Virginia Beach has visited. He's another offensive lineman, um, pretty highly touted guy. Micah Matthews is ranked as high as number two in the state. He's from Turner Ashby, which is up around Bridgewater. Uh, but is he going to play football or baseball? He's a former South Carolina baseball commit 
Virginia Tech is apparently recruiting him for both. His recruiting, you know, they, they take pictures on their visits. And he had pictures with, the, with he baseball. He had pictures in baseball and football mm-hmm. on his visit. Yeah, you know, Malachi. I mean, Malachi Thomas was recruited to he Tech was. for, for yeah. baseball as well. Apparently had a pretty good fastball. Um, Jeff Overton, very productive running back from Freedom High School in Nova. That's where Josh Fuga went. They're a dominant, dominant program in the state, maybe even the dominant program in the state right now. Uh Another DeMatha guy, Noah Chambers, he's a linebacker. Uh, he visited, and Virginia Tech appears to be in pretty good shape there um, with the work Virginia Tech has put in at DeMatha over the last couple of years with Emmett Laws and Dante Lovett. You, and Elijah you, Brooks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You <laughs> would expect Virginia Tech to, to be a strong contender there. Um, and, and, you know, some more in-state guys. Uh, Deuce Edwards is a cornerback from Trinity Episcopal in Richmond. Uh He's good friends with Knowledge Harrell, who's a fellow cornerback from Green Run. Knowledge, by the way, is spelled K-N-A-H-L-I-J. <laughs> Knowledge is this like Harrell. a stone smart situation where it's S-M-A-R-T-T, like <laughs> smart to knowledge spelled a different way. Yeah, it's very um, strange. He's got a final three of Tech, West Virginia, and Maryland. Another Green Run player who's visited recently is wide receiver Jaden Anderson. Final six of Tech, Maryland, Tennessee, Auburn, South Carolina, and West Virginia. Those green run guys are, are tight with Keelan Adams, who enrolled this month and was one of the top uh, recruits in the state. And, you know, I think you, you could potentially see some guys make decisions pretty soon, I think. Uh, not a ton of them, but, you know, Tech will start – I mean, Tech has already started picking up commits. They've already got two for the 2025 class. Uh, but, you know, you'll, you'll see some more come into the boat fairly soon, I think. Um it actually impresses me about Keelan Adams that he set all those receiving records with, while also sharing the ball with another high-profile wide receiver commit in, in Jaden Anderson. I mean, this guy's final six is Tech, Maryland, Tennessee, Auburn, South Carolina, and West Virginia. He's a pretty highly thought-of player. Even Knowledge Harrell, he's being recruited as a cornerback, also plays wide receiver, had a decent number of catches as well. So that's a lot of passes to spread out amongst three guys, and, and yet one of those guys was able to go on and break a whole lot of in-state records. Uh, I think that that says a lot about about uh, about the passing game that they've built there yeah. at Green Run. Can you explain to everybody, Chris, kind of what's the timetable if they do want to, you know, remember these names, keep a lookout for these guys. For some people that may not follow recruiting mm-hmm. as heavily and are looking to get into it, how how can they do that? Well, uh, when they commit, we'll write an article about them. Okay. Um, I've already, I've actually uh, already got a. Uh, Got a couple of articles written already just anticipating commitments. So uh, I, I wouldn't expect to have to wait too much longer on some of these guys. Cool. Cool stuff. Well, Andy wrote a really cool article uh, about the 2019 Virginia Tech class at the time. They finished 27th in the country, ranked as far as uh, incoming recruiting class. Andy, that, that was fun. A little bit of a trip down memory lane. What, what jumped out to you as far as where these guys are now? Well, I like to be the counterbalance that everybody's always excited about future classes. And I like to go back to past classes and go, it's ridiculous the amount of time that in ink that is spilled on these guys and these classes because you just don't know how it's going to turn out. I mean, when you sign them, they're all superstars in your mind. Oh, this guy's going to be great. This guy's going to be great. The potential here and the truth is half of them sort of wash out. Maybe like a third of them actually amount to like regular starters on the team. You're seeing more and more transfers in the portal that don't even finish here. So you look at that 2019 class. There's some talented players in there. Not a lot of those talented players finish their careers at Virginia Tech. I mean, the, the top end of the class, especially, uh, just, you know, a lot of what ifs with transfers, medical retirements, injuries, guys that were just plain busts. Uh, you know, you look at the breadth of the class, you know, eight multi-year starters, Tavian Robinson, Nick Gallo, Josh Fuga, Mario Kendricks, Narelle Pollard, Amare Barno is a really good one. Uh, mm-hmm. Probably the, the best player in the class they signed. Braxton Burmeister and Brock Hoffman as transfers. But, uh, you know, the very top of, you know, the top rated high school players that they signed that year, Jaden Payute. Always hurt. Had one career catch. Had to medically retire hamstring and, and leg injuries. Catch. It was a really good catch. In a, in game a, nobody in a wants really to bad game. Yeah. <laughs> in the pinstripe ball. Uh, I mean, it, fitting that you know the one catch that he had was in that game. Uh, Doug Nestor transferred to West Virginia. Brian Hudson transferred to Louisville. J.R. Walker 
never really panned out here. Four star guy. Those were the four blue chip guys they signed in this class. And none of them finished their careers here or played when they were seniors, you know, medical retirements, transfers. So when you miss on guys like that, or they end up transferring somewhere else and playing, and even when you look at the top eight, I think Tavion Robinson was really the only one who hit. And even he transferred for his last two years here. It's tough to build something long-term. And you look at some of the problems that uh, occurred uh, in the early rebuild with Brent Pry. And, you know, you can probably tie it directly a lot to this class and other classes around it and, and the, the comings and goings with players. But, you know, they signed four offensive linemen in this class. None of them made it to the finish line here. The two transfers, two other medical retirements uh, that left here, Jesse Hansen and William Pritchard. Uh, the receivers in this class, Tavion Robinson hit, then transferred somewhere else. The other ones, Elijah Bowick, Jacoby Pinckney, never made it here, never really made any impact here. Uh, Jaden Payute transferring somewhere else. So when Brent Pride comes in and it's like, well, you got Caleb Smith and nobody else at receiver, you can look at this class and go, well, those guys didn't pan out. And, you know, that, that was a pretty rough evaluation for that class, I would say. I've got one thing to add about one player in that class who was actually one of the lower rated players in the class, Josh Fuga, who is one of two guys in that class, right? One of two who's still here. Yeah, him, him, him and Gallo. And Gallo right. Gallo. So Fuga, and, and this this goes back to why I think some of the evaluations in that class were so bad. Fuga was the first player Tech evaluated once they got a subscription to Huddle and were able to evaluate full game film of players. And they didn't weren't able to evaluate him until December. So at that point, almost everybody's committed. And he was committed to Temple at the time. Tech evaluates him, and... He plays every snap on both sides of the ball for freedom. He did not stand out from a playmaking perspective, per se. Like, he wasn't somebody in the backfield making 20 tackles, 20 or 30 tackles for loss per season. But he all, he only lost one rep all year. He was just steady. And so Tech offered him based on that. That's pretty much the player he's been at Virginia Tech. Like, he's not a guy who makes many tackles for loss. He doesn't play in the backfield a ton. But you also don't find yourself saying, Fuga got beat on that play, right? He he, he just he, he's a, just a solid player who doesn't, doesn't really take it to the opposition past the line of scrimmage, per se, but he always holds his gap and does a good, solid job. So that's a case that they were able to get a full evaluation on a player, probably one of the few guys in that class they were able to get a complete every-game evaluation on. And uh, he turned out to be exactly what the film said he was. Yeah, I, I think it would be interesting to go back and look and see what day he committed. If it was assuming it was after early, if it was after like it was after early signing day, it was late. He committed during a bad. I was with my daughter at a basketball game. I remember because I was trying to hmm. to uh, like tweet it, yeah. and then uh, I talked to Jed Castro later, and he said that it was up on the big board. <laughs> He's like, hey, Andy, look up from your phone. Look up from your phone because my daughter was behind me, like kind of hamming it up on the, on the thing. And I was I was trying to tweet out the Josh Fuga commitment That's at the time. But do you think the previous staff was like very anti vaping because they had to watch all those oh anti vaping commercials on Huddle? <laughs> there's even over there, and there's over. there's an even more. Yes, please. If you, if you vape, please stop just so we don't have to watch those ads anymore. Um, but there's an even worse one there now. It's like some sort of Google ad, and it freezes up like every three seconds. And it freezes, it freezes up for like five seconds and then it starts again and then it freezes up again. It's a 15 second ad. It takes like 45, mi 45 seconds to a minute to actually watch it. And the thing about Huddle is you can't like go to another tab and do something else oh, while the ad runs. The it ad? pauses the I ad no matter what. So it you literally just have to sit there and wait for this ad to freeze and unfreeze. And so it makes it really annoying. That's why I haven't quite watched as many recruits at this point as I normally do because I just it's really tough to get through that ad over and over and over again. So Josh Fuga, I found your article from December 16th, 2018, Chris. Uh Josh Fuga committed on a Sunday afternoon. Uh he was the 18th commitment of the class and it was the Sunday before signing day on Wednesday. Right. So that's how late that's how late they were they were working on him. Right. Like like his senior season ended. They were able to watch his entire se senior season and then they pulled the trigger. Uh, so some of those, it'd be interesting. Like if they, if you could go back in time and it's easier to get evaluations on in-state guys because they're local. You can see more games probably than you can out-of-state guys. But some of those guys like, like Jacoby Pinckney, 
from South Carolina, right? He was pretty highly touted. He was highly ranked. And uh, probably I'd give him 3.5 stars based on his offer list and everything like that. But, like, could you really get a complete evaluation on him? It's not like you can go to South Carolina every Friday night and watch him play. That was almost an immediate bust. Right. Like, the second it was he got immediate. Here, I think they knew it. They're yeah. like, yeah, that yeah. was a misfire right. on that one. So, like, you, if, you, you, if you go back and have complete evaluation tools for, for some of those early classes, uh, you wonder if any of them could have. Well, they, of course, they would have turned out different to a certain extent. Like, there, there were players in this class who probably wouldn't be in the class. And then there were players in other teams' classes who might have been in Virginia Tech's classes. A couple things about this class. 16 of the 22 high school junior college signees ended up transferring somewhere else Oof. by the end. That's a high number. Usually yeah. it's like 40 to 50%. I mean, you're up in the 72, uh, 73% range there. That's a ton. And, you know, coaching change. Yeah, you know, a lot of guys are going to get processed from a program at that point. That that would happen. That's just a really high number, though. Uh, five medical retirements that's in that class. Yeah. Uh, that's unusual. I, I haven't gone back and tracked that year by year, but anecdotally, that sounds high. Again, that might be part of the, the coaching change process, too, where uh, it's just an easy way out for some of these guys. <laughs> like, well, I'll just take the medical, and then uh, the coach gets the scholarship. They get to continue their uh, uh, education. Uh one draft pick so far, Amari Barno, sixth-round pick. That's one of the fewest for any classes going back. I think there's one class, 2016, no, 2012 class had no no draft picks. That was the only one since I've been doing this where there was no draft picks. Uh, one all-ACC selection in this class. And I know you guys read the story, but do you, can you remember who the one God, selection who was? was? It? Uh, Tavion Robinson. It was Tavion Robinson. Amari Barno was just an honorable mention even though he led the ACC in and tackles for loss. So why don't we even pay attention to that anymore? If, it's so ridiculous. Yeah. The voting was, was pretty bad there. And uh, I'll mention just the, the, you know, look at the in-state. I always like to see, you know, what was Virginia like uh, in that year? Because uh, this is sort of where the slide started in terms of uh, in-state recruiting. I think that comes to a head in the 2020 class. You know, spoiler, in the 2020 <laughs> class review that I do next year, it's not going to be pretty uh, overall and in-state uh, especially. But, you know, Payute was the number four player in the class. Uh, Brandon Smith, the number one player, uh, went to Penn State, recruited by uh, Brent Pry. Uh, it was a thorn in the side for the Hokies back then. The number two player, running back Devin Ford, uh, how much angst and just, you know, hysterics were there when Devin Ford ended up picking Penn State over Virginia Tech, uh, and he never had more than 300 yards in any season. He finished, grew, finished his career at Notre Dame. He had 44 yards last he year. He grew up a Tech fan. Like, even some of his recruiting pitchers, he's wearing a Virginia Tech jersey, like at his high school. Tech even got Michael Vick to meet him one-on-one -on -one personally, at least once, maybe twice. Still went to Penn State, and everybody was mad. And then how many career rushing yards did he have? It was like 700 in five years mm -hmm. across two schools. I mean, right. it just never made an impact. I mean, it's amazing how much you think, oh, this guy's the difference maker. He's the, you know, and you look at somebody like Trevion Henderson, who was absolutely that. Or uh, the guy at Michigan. Uh, Blake Corum. Yeah, yeah, Blake Corum. Another guy that I think Tech was trying to get in on early. From yeah, Virginia. Uh, he's a Virginia guy. Didn't really show interest in oh. the Hokies too much. Oh, but he did. He left campus basically a silent verbal to that class. And then well, his, Michigan big tied him. Uh, <laughs> got he, him. Uh, that's it. Here's the story. Um, his his coach was a big, a big Big Ten guy. I'll put it that way. And he put a bunch of his players in a van, took them to all the Big Ten schools. And uh, so Corum was basically like, I'm not gonna say pressured, but he wasn't actually gonna go visit those other schools until his coach was like, you're gonna go visit those other schools. And uh, yeah, so so Tech really felt like they had him, and then all those other visits happened. Well, Corey made a good decision. Yeah, <laughs> I don't disagree. Hey, hand out, yeah. I don't disagree. Uh, other guys in this class, Mike Sainristel was mm -hmm. an early commitment yeah. uh, for Virginia Tech. They got him, and I remember was like, is he big enough to play college football and stuff? And he's big yeah. enough to start for Michigan. He flipped to Michigan and <laughs> is an All-American, wins a national title. Brandon Dorless was another guy who was committed briefly. Actually, was a, I was surprised to see he was a first-team uh, All-Pac-12 pick Dorless, this is the name I've been thinking of that's been escaping me recently. I've mentioned this story before. He's one of the reasons I started to, not hate, but roll my eyes at recruiting. He committed to Tech on, on a weekend, 
in like August. And he was going to, he was committing on a radio show. I believe he was from Florida. Yeah. And uh, I, I, so I was like, okay, he's going to commit at this time. This radio show is on, like, it was like two o'clock in the afternoon. So I've got a cookout to go to. Like, and I'm like, but that's okay. I know what time he's going to commit. So I start listening to the radio show. And they talk about him for 15 minutes. And then they interview, like, his head coach for 15 minutes. Let's talk to the and strength coach. And then they interview yeah. this guy for 15. And finally, like, at the 59th minute of this hour-long radio show, he commits to Virginia Tech. And I'm just sitting here, just hurry up. I've already got the article written. Right. Just allow me to click submit, right? So I wasted that entire nice, sunny Sunday or weekend afternoon in August in Blacksburg when it's the best weather for a guy who just decommitted a few months later. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's who even worse when you do actual stories right, right. and then they so, decommit so before they do anything. I'm, I'm going to be counterproductive here. And like, if you pay close attention to recruiting, you're wasting half your time. You really are. It would to you know hammered at that point. One last thing on this class: number twenty-six player in the state that year. Uh, I don't know if Tech was in on him early, and ended up going to West Virginia, transferred to Old Dominion uh, after that, and now is at Virginia Tech. Ali Jennings. Yep. And you look at this list. I mean, he's one of the the really big success stories from all the players in that class. So I mean, you went over a bunch of guys at the top who were busts, who were highly ranked. Brandon Smith, Devin Ford, Sheridan Jones, Jaden Payute, Cam Kelly. Another uh, brief commitment <laughs> here. Uh, Litchfield, Ajavon. Exactly. Salim Turner, Muhammad, Hakeem yeah. Beam. You got some guys you, in there. You, the, the, Eugene Asante, Jalen Jones. That's the top you, ten. You got a right. couple guys that went to like Michigan that were successful, but like and uh, and the guy you mentioned from Florida, the Pac-12 kid. But like, uh, right. But yeah. Jed, it's Jennings. Right. Right. And the, and the in-state top group that year, the top ranked guys were mostly busts. But guys yeah. like number 26, and this has been a trend in Virginia for a while now that I've noticed for like a five or six year stretch where a number of the top 10 guys went on the college and didn't do anything. But then you've got a bunch of random number 23, number 26, number 31 all turn out to be really good college players. I think uh, the talent is still very much there in Virginia, but sometimes they're not ranked correctly. Cool stuff. We ready to talk some women's hoops, guys? Sure. All right. Well, we flip the script here. We talk Virginia Tech women's basketball. First place in the ACC. David, you've been saying how this is a team right now that really controls their own destiny. You had an article about it this week. Yeah. Virginia Tech's top of the ACC. Louisville lost at NC State. Um, Virginia Tech is half a game ahead of both of them. Obviously goes to NC State on Thursday at number three uh, in Reynolds. That's going to be a really good game. It's a rematch from a month ago, exactly today, uh, when the Hokies came from behind and beat NC State in Blacksburg. Th this is a Virginia Tech team that, you know, they Tech beat uh, Carolina over the weekend, number 24 in the country, second-ranked road win of the year. Wasn't pretty by any means, but, and we were talking about this before we went on, I'm, I'm, I always, like... And kind of keep an eye on what teams do when they aren't scoring the ball very well. And Tech did not have a very good offensive game. I thought Tech got a ton of good looks that didn't necessarily fall. Um, I think it's obvious when you look from the outside, like I think Kayla King miss, missed a bunch of threes that she probably should have had, but Matilda Eck made some clutch ones at the end. Elizabeth Kitley missed some shots that she usually makes. Um, but Virginia Tech was fantastic on the glass was great defensively and made all the little 50-50 plays. Um, one of the plays of the game for me is like Olivia Samuel run, you know, it's a loose ball in the corner. Olivia Samuel grabs it, is like kind of like rolling around and throws it to Kayla King. Ball's outlet to Georgia Amor. She passes it until the Eck and they hit a transition three. And like that, that's a play that like doesn't happen if Olivia Samuel doesn't go dive on the floor and, and, and grab that ball. Tech's doing all the little things right. And I, I was sitting there. I know, Gio, you were there as well in, in Carmichael Arena. I, I was sitting there, and I was just like, it's kind of just a matter of time. Virginia Tech's going to win this game, I think, if it can just hit some shots. Like, it was just a matter of time, and, and Tech eventually did. And I think this is a group that's playing with a lot of confidence right now, even when it's not necessarily scoring the ball, which is what you need. You got something, Chris? Yeah. Um, I think he's figured out his rotation. I think Kenny Brooks has figured out his rotation. Remember, this is a team that only returned three players from last year's team. 
uh, with well, the, four, with the fourth who redshirted. Yeah. Right, exactly. So a lot of new faces. So he had, there's a lot of, I mean, there's talent, of course, but you've got to figure out how that talent mixes together. And uh, I especially think that uh, that has applied at, at probably the, the four spot more than anything else. Uh, Tech's, who Tech is playing there now and how much they're playing is is a lot different than it was at the beginning of the season. And I think we've seen the team uh, gel but because I know everybody wants to play a big rotation, but, you know, Mike Young said this recently on a, either a Tech Talk Live or a post game that I was listening to. He's like, at this point in the season, it's more common for coaches to to uh, shorten their rotation than expand it. And Kenny Brooks is going with basically a seven to eight woman rotation right now. We'll call it seven and a half just for the sake of argument. Yeah, um, it, and, it, it's yeah. And, and I think that and that, I think you saw an action extent. against Carolina where I mean, and people people have been asking me why is it Rose Mishaw playing? You know, she's a transfer from Minnesota and she was highly touted. Um, I, I think it's and I hate to bring the situation up, but I think it's very similar. It's very similar on court to the Ashley Wusu situation last year, where it got to a point where she just wasn't fitting in what Tech was doing. Now, I, I think Rose Mishaw, um, and I kind of wrote this yesterday. I think she still has a future at Virginia Tech. I mean, they, Kenny Brooks has praised her work ethic and everything, and she's she's been nothing but a positive to have. And who knows? Maybe Tech will need her at some point. But she also has a year of eligibility left, and I think when when Elizabeth Kitley moves on, you know, she can really help lift that front court. Um, she'll be kind of the one veteran in that room still. But yeah, I mean, you you, you saw it on on Sunday. Um, Carly Wenzel did not play the entire second half because Kayla King was out of foul trouble and and was kind of fresh. Uh, that's the way Kenny Brooks described her on the radio show, uh, his radio show yesterday. Claire Strack played a lot of minutes. Uh, and she she split that with Olivia Samuel. That was basically it. Karis Baker played like two or three minutes in the game, but but he's he's these last three games I think have have really showed what what players really mesh well together. And you, and I think Olivia Samuel has been huge stepping into that role. Her contributions she's not necessarily scoring the ball really really well, but she's a big reason why Virginia Tech has out rebounded three of the best teams. In, in the conference at rebounding, and one of the reasons why Tech is skyrocketing up towards the top of best teams in the conference in rebounding, because of her. You know, she's averaging about six or seven rebounds per game. Elizabeth Kitley is obviously a really good rebounder. But I think they're also finding it def their cohesiveness defensively. Clara Strack comes in. I think I wrote Clara Strack has like 10 blocks in her last four or five games. She's like a block machine, and she comes in there, and you know she's going to play good defense. And yes, she might still be a little raw, but but you know what you're going to get on that. And Carly Wenzel's playing great defense, and um, and then it just comes down to scoring. And I I agree. I think Tech is. I think Kenny Brooks is starting to find that rotation, and they're playing well together, and they're winning. And and when you are are doing that, yeah, you can. You can throw a Karis Baker in there for a little bit to get give someone rest, but a lot of it also is situational stuff. And if if Kayla King's not in foul trouble, you want to play Kayla King as much as possible because she's so valuable on both ends. So um, I, I like the position that that they're in right now, and I agree. I think he's he's found something pretty good. You know, it's interesting this year's team and what has transpired so far throughout the season in a lot of ways mirrors exactly what we saw last year. You go all the way to the on-court stuff with now Rose Mishaw is kind of forced to take a little bit of a backseat and Kenny is is honing in on his rotation. You look at some of the numbers, Tech was 18-4 and four exactly at this point last year. Their last loss before obviously in the Final Four to LSU was on the road at Duke in ACC play and then they never lost again. Now the Hokies have ripped off, what is it, six in a row at this point, five in a row at this point. Um, David, just kind of interesting to look at the parallels and how this team, just Kenny's teams now have a trend of really hitting their groove about midway point of ACC play. Yeah, I think when this, uh, in the story I wrote yesterday, on February 6, 2023, and February 6, 2024, Tech was 18-4 and 18th in the net in both. Now, obviously, that last year's team ended up being you know top five or six in the net and ended up getting a number one seed, and part of that is because of the stretch that it went on uh, at the very end of the season. But, um, yeah, I think, Gio, to your point, the, the one thing that this team, this current team, does not have is a bad loss. And I mean, like, a, a loss to a team it shouldn't lose to. Last year's team went on the road to Clemson and Miami and lost and was able to kind of overcome that. And 
Um, you know, that Miami game was kind of a, an awakening for Taylor soul a little bit and she played much better. This group is, you could maybe look at, uh, the, the Duke loss again. And maybe, maybe it's something about just going to Cameron Indoor, right? Every single time Virginia Tech goes there, it's like uh, it gets, it gets new life. Yeah. Maybe they should play them the first game of the season next year. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, you know, but I also think, I think Georgia Amor sitting out that one game and it gave her some time to kind of recalibrate a little bit. Kenny Brooks mentioned after the Virginia win on Thursday last week that she's playing with more energy. It, it's easy when your two All-Americans are scoring 50-plus points a game, which they did against UVA, they made two more field goals than the entire Virginia team. But then there are games where you're playing at Syracuse or you're playing at Carolina where you have to you have to play good defense the entire game and you have to rebound well. You have to do the little things, and eventually your shot will fall. And um, I'm, not, I'm not worried to speak. I don't. I don't think worry is the right word about Tech's shooting because Tech's numbers haven't been. You know, you look at Syracuse and Tech shot the ball okay, but Elizabeth Kitley was off. Um, you look at the North Carolina game; Tech did not necessarily shoot the ball well. But I like the looks that Tech's getting. And the, but I think the most important thing is on the other end how they're defending. Even though Courtney Banghart said defense is not what they do, Tech is top, number twenty sixth. As of yesterday, in in adjusted defensive efficiency, Tech's defending really, really well, and I think part of it is Kenny Brooks has really honed in on a lineup that he likes. Yeah, that was a little bit of a shot from uh, Courtney Banghart there. Andy, want to get you involved in the flow of this conversation a little bit? Yeah, I, I think it's uh, the stretch run here in the ACC is going to be fascinating because you look at this and I mean, how many teams could still win the ACC regular season? Four, five. I mean, there are eight. I wrote yesterday there are eight teams that are less than three games behind Tech at the top. Yeah, wow. I mean it's tight. And you you look at this schedule. I mean, Tech goes on the road to play NC State, at Louisville, at Notre Dame. I mean, those are three ranked opponents. Tough. I mean, the, if you win at any of those or all of them, they'd all be great wins. Those are teams you road. could play in the Elite Eight, maybe right, even exactly. Final and then yeah. even the home games. Duke at home, we saw what Duke did the first time against them. North Carolina, you know, took them right down to the wire and into overtime just recently. Uh, you know, at Virginia at, at the tail end. I mean, not a not a gimme if you're going to play a rivalry game like that. I mean, it's this is a tough schedule down the stretch. If they do what they did last year, I mean, you'll be looking at uh, probably a number one seed again. I think that's going to be a lot tougher uh, to, to run the table and go on a, a magical run like that. But I mean, buckle up these last couple of weeks and the, the schedule in the ACC, I think it's going to be pretty fun. And then yeah. you've got the ACC tournament where you're probably going to have at least one more matchup with a team like that. Yeah, probably, probably want, two. Yeah. Maybe two, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's so interesting. I want to go ahead and uh, take a peek at the home stretch of last season when they were able to run the table after Duke. So they played Virginia, Syracuse, NC State, they beat NC State, but it was kind of an off year for the Wolfpack. Not not an off year in their gut. Like they were still top 25, they but being ranked yeah. 24 and top five are two different things. Um, Florida State, they beat Florida State, beat Duke. Duke was better last year, a top 10 team at the time. Uh, NC State again, Carolina. And then your home stretch was Georgia Tech, Miami, Duke. Honestly, it was just as tough. Well, I think the, the biggest thing is, in that in that stretch where they won so many tech won so many games last year, North Carolina and NC State were the only road games. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I believe North Carolina and NC State were the only road games, right? Virginia Tech, Andy just said it. Tech has tech has to go to NC State on Thursday and then go to Louisville and then go to Notre Dame. And obviously those games are there's stuff in between, but it's like like that's just the way it shakes out this year. Last year, Virginia Tech got Louisville at home and beat them in January or February. Lost to Notre Dame in December, but and I'm very this is a whole different conversation. But the way the, the new ACC schedule with the addition of Cal, Stanford, and SMU, it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. But like this is the year that Virginia Tech gets both Notre Dame and Louisville on the road. You got to go there. Tech already went up to Syracuse who's also from that pod and, and, and one up there in the dome. Um, and that's a big win, but you have to string it together. And I think the reason why those stats, those numbers are so interesting is because <laughs> that team ended up jumping in the span of a month from 18th to like top five tech tech came out of nowhere. 
I, I remember after covering Virginia Tech winning the AC championship against Louisville, and Tech had ripped off a stretch of like seven or eight quadrant one wins with like one or two others sprinkled in there. I remember walking into the post game in in Greensboro Coliseum and Charlie Cream's tweeting that he expects Tech to be a number one seed. And it's just like, really? Like that that was kind of just unheard of. I don't I don't expect Tech to get a number one seed because I think and you can tell by the the AP poll, teams aren't necessarily ebbing and flowing. South Carolina's up there, Iowa's up there. A lot of those top teams aren't necessarily losing, and there are a lot of really, really good teams. But Tech's a top four team for sure. And I think right now it's winning the you know, Tech has a really good chance to win the ACC and host and Castle Coliseum is going to sell out as it is for the the North Carolina game senior day. Um, I think a lot of it, yeah, like you, you'd love to be a, a number one seed again, but that, I think that's kind of like a, how special last year's team was. But to be able to at least clinch a double buy in the ACC tournament, if not win the, the conference, um, and then host NCAA tournament, that's so, that's so crucial. And, and I think when you look at the men's tournament, it's a little bit different, right? You go to a regional site. Virginia Tech could go play in uh, in Washington D.C. or San San Jose when that's where Tech went a couple years ago. Uh, you're playing at a neutral site in a place where, okay, yeah, sure, there are a bunch of fans watching, but like, it's a neutral site for a reason. This is like the the thing that's so special about the the women's tournament is that you get to host these games on your campus. Virginia Tech will have eight thousand nine hundred and twenty five people in the building every single time it, it plays an NCAA tournament game in Castle. And that's what's special about it. And Tech's selling out regular season games. And if Tech can get that, that that makes the path to a Sweet 16 easier. So Tech is setting itself up for success right now. But this stretch, man, I mean, it's going to be a gauntlet, but it's going to be really fun. Speaking of selling out, go over those numbers you put in your article yesterday. Do you remember them off the top uh, of your head? This is well. So tech. So this is the forty eighth year of Virginia Tech women's basketball, and Tech had never sold out a regular season game up until this year. And Tech has sold out three in a month or eight weeks, I should say. Uh, tech is on pace to North Carolina is the last regular season game. Tech should break the overall like attendance record for attendance in a season mm-hmm. by that game. Uh, tech is blowing away the average attendance record. Um, just like ridiculous numbers, and um, Tech's obviously had good good crowds in Castle before. Castle once sat over ten thousand, but they were never sellouts. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's it's just really really cool how much this program has grown, and and um, you know like like it's it's a tough crowd to play in front of. It is, and I think let's look at that from a financial standpoint. I don't have any numbers right in front of me, but. I think if you're Whit Babcock, you don't you don't budget for sellouts. You uh you think you might have some, you hope to have some, but you, you don't set your budget up saying, yeah, we're gonna have four sellouts this year and we're definitely gonna host. I think those are added bonuses, almost so to speak, from a budgetary standpoint. What you got, Andy? I know you've been, just, been waiting. Just to put a bow on how tough this the schedule is coming up, the top four teams in the ACC right now: Virginia Tech, NC State, Louisville, Syracuse are forty-seven and one at home this season. <laughs> the one <laughs> loss, lost. Virginia Tech up went up to Syracuse and, and beat them. Wow! wow. Uh, so you, you look at their next two row games: NC State, Louisville. They're both twelve and zero at home this year. So good luck on the road. Those are going to be tough games. Yeah. I mean, if you could win those, I mean, man, you could sew up the ACC right there, but it is going to be tough to get through that. The, the, the NC state game is so crucial. Now I'll, I'll have a preview out on it later today. The last time NC state lost was when Virginia tech walked in there on February 6th, 2023 last year and beat the Wolfpack. And it, it's, it's What's a very small, very, very small arena. Um, I, in my opinion, it's the best home court atmosphere in the ACC. And River Baldwin's playing. So I think that that honestly favors Tech a little bit more because NC State can't go small. Mimi Collins, um, she's about 6'1", I think. Um, she played the five when NC State came to Blacksburg because River Baldwin was out. With, with her in the lineup, NC State can get out and go and get out and go. And and Tech struggled to contain NC State in transition. It's a really good three-point shooting team. It's a really good jump shooting team. Really good in transition. 
with River Baldwin playing, very curious to see how much Westmore uses her because then they go bigger. And I think that actually plays in Tech's favor because Tech can slow the pace down and doesn't necessarily have to defend as much in transition. It's going to be a really, really, really good basketball game. I'm super excited. Um, I think it's 8 p.m. on the ACC network. So um, NC State's on a quicker turnaround because NC State played on, on Monday against uh, against Louisville in what was the, uh, the KYAL. Game. So just game. to kind of piggyback, David, what do you like about the matchup between Baldwin and Kitley? What can Kitley kind of exploit there uh, this time around? Well, I think I think Kitley Kitley had twenty seven and twelve the last time they played. Again, just kind of casual numbers, <laughs> casual double double. Um, Kitley is the best post player in the conference, but what what changes there is that. If it, it what changes is more defensively for Virginia Tech because now Tech could Tech kind of it, it's kind of more of a traditional one two three four five matchup instead of NC State playing small ball. I think Tech matched it a little bit at times and played larger where Tech went with Clara Strack and Elizabeth Kitley, but it's tough to do when. Their tallest player is six two. You can't have. It's tough to have two six five players or six six players on the floor against a team that doesn't have a girl taller than six two. So it's going to be very interesting chess match. I think. I think if Baldwin plays, it favors Tech because Tech is able to play NC State straight up defensively and doesn't have to maybe at times feel like it needs to get a smaller forward on the floor. I think Karis Baker, if I remember, played a little bit more in that game because she's got some length and she can shoot it and she can stretch the floor. Um, it's going to be an interesting chess match. Kenny Brooks and Westmore are, are obviously very, very close. He always jokes that, you know, they're close because they're Cowboys fans. Um, but I, I'm very interested to kind of just see how this plays out. If Virginia Tech can win this game, that Tech will, will have swept NC State and Tech will go, I guess it depends on what Louisville does, but Tech has the potential to go two games ahead in the ACC standings. That That is crucial. Kenny Brooks is a Cowboys fan, huh? I've never heard anybody say an ill word about Kenny Brooks until just now. <laughs> You've never heard? He'll, he'll talk about it in the press conferences every, every I believe, once in a yeah, while. Yeah, I believe he said uh, it was around Christmas. He said Carly Wenzel, who's, of course, from San Antonio, bought got him a uh, a CD Lamb jersey for Christmas. I think that's what he said. So, yeah, he's a big, big, big Cowboys fan. Yeah, it was a tough one for him and them, them Cowboys this this time around. Guys, anything else on women's basketball before we talk a little bit of men's hoops? Feeling good? All right, sweet. Well, time to uh, take a very short break here, a pause, I should say, and tell everyone, as always, Tech Sideline is presented by First Bank and Trust Company. As our presenting sponsor, First Bank and Trust Company's support has been invaluable to TSL, helping us to bring you all the great content across all of our platforms. Who you choose to bank with can make all the difference. Bank with First Bank and Trust Company. Visit firstbank.com to learn more. All right, talking men's basketball here, the Hokies. David, Chris, Andy, whoever wants it, is it all but wrapped up for Virginia Tech when it comes to the postseason? Realistically, what does it take to make some insane run at the tournament? I would at say this point? it's not quite wrapped up. Okay, because but we're getting there. But <laughs> let, I mean, look, Tech is the metrics like Tech, like Tech is top fifty-five in the net. That that's a good spot to be when you only have thirteen wins, like. I, I haven't looked, but Tech Tech might be the highest highest ranked thirteenth thirteen win team in Probably, there. Yeah. The problem is, and, and and again, I'll go back to what Andy wrote up after the Duke game. That was a missed opportunity, be, and then Tech went on the road and lost to Miami. Two missed opportunities back to back. When you get to March, when the committee does, I, I always remember on on Selection Sunday where. The, the selection committee would put resumes up against each other. You know, the CBS guys would talk about it. It's like, okay, here's the blind, here's the, you know, the eye test, right? Which which team has a better resume? If you don't have quality wins, it doesn't matter. Virginia Tech could win. Virginia Tech could win seven of its next. Uh, how many Tech has what? Eight games left? Yeah, nine games left. Tech could win eight of the next nine games, beat everybody against except for North Carolina, and have 20 or 21 wins, but not get in because it doesn't have any quality wins. And that's the problem here. Like, it's a it's an average team. It's a, or a slightly above average team that, that has played well in stretches, 
you have to beat good teams. And Tech will have a chance, I think, when Virginia comes. UVA's won seven in a row, hottest team in the ACC after Carolina's lost two of its last three. And with a win over Duke. With, with a win over Duke. Um, it, it, like, it, it changes the fact if, if you can go into Chapel Hill and win. But right now, I haven't seen anything that, that says Virginia Tech can win. And I think what's really disappointing is Tech led with eight minutes to go they had in Miami. either two or three different 10-point leads in that game. Yeah. And, and, like, you lead with five minutes to go in Miami and you can't hold on. That would have been a Quadrant 1 win, and the conversation's completely different. You you need Quadrant 1 wins at the end of the day. Yeah. And and Virginia Tech could maybe go up to Pitt or go up to Syracuse if those teams are, are there and, and win. I don't know if UVA is really going to get into the top 30. It's possible. Maybe Wake Forest would, but there's no guarantee they stay there. You know Duke's going to stay there in the top 30. You know Miami's going to stay in the top 75. So that, that's that's kind of the situation Tech's in. Tech can win, but unless it like goes on the road and beats Carolina, mm-hmm. it, it's it's really going to have to pull a rabbit out of the hat to, to really do something here. Uh, my concern the whole time has been overall number of wins. And like Tech is sitting at, thir- at 13 wins and... and Teams that are thirteen and nine generally don't go on to make the NCAA tournament. And I said that when they were thirteen and seven. Also, um, you play two more ACC games now rather than two more dog opponents in non-conference. Two easy wins, which not only give you two wins, but they help your efficiency ratings, which helps you in the net rankings and all that. So, uh, I think you you have very you have with a twenty-game ACC schedule. I think you have less margin for error now. And that goes for everybody, and that's why right now, what is it, how many teams are projected to make the field from the ACC? Uh, four or five. Right, uh, right. UVA, UVA's obviously played very well. Yeah, they've lately. worked their way back in. UVA, like two weeks ago, they were only, it was only like three, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and and Clemson, Clemson, Virginia should complement right. North Carolina and Duke. Obviously, Clemson beat Carolina last night. Um, that was, and, and I think Wake Forest is right there on the bubble. But I mentioned this to Gio before we walked in here. Wake Forest doesn't have a quad. Doesn't one have a win. quad one win. Now they have a, like they play Duke twice and and the, the Deacons come to Blacksburg, so mm-hmm. like that's a potential quadrant one win for Wake here. But it, again, it's Wake Forest is going to be in a similar boat. Wake Forest could have a, a, a little bit better resume than Tech, but if it doesn't have a Q one, they could have a better record, but they don't. But yeah. too fewer Q will Q one wins or something like that. Um, I my feelings on this team, you know, they ebb and flow to a certain extent, like everybody else based on game-to-game performance, but my overall view hasn't changed since the very beginning. In our preseason podcast, I said I thought they'd be in an IT team, and I was worried about guard depth when Rodney Rice just left in October. And uh, so you you look at some of these close losses, like uh, the two Miami games and the South Carolina loss, and and I'm not blaming him because for the second year in a row, he's been asked more to play more minutes than he should be right now at this point in his development. But in those games, MJ Collins has averaged 2.7 points per game. Rodney Rice would have averaged, I mean, look what he did down the stretch last year. Played very well for Tech down the stretch last year when he was a freshman and had no preseason and had missed most of the year due to injury. Uh, You know, I I think a healthy on the team, Rodney Rice, Tech's, two to three games better right now, and we're having a different conversation. And I think part of that is because Sean Padula's on the floor last. Yeah, and, and uh, Padula's played 36 minutes a game over his last nine. And before the season, we're like, finally, you know, he had to play too Mike much Young last Mike Young sat in this chair and, and said, said, I can't believe, I, I finally was, have a chance to get Sean Padula off the floor. It was He said he did Padula a disservice, but he had no choice. And that's kind of been the same thing again this year. Uh, they, they, they did, he did sit more earlier in the season a little bit of that was due to injury but but now you know Rex Steiner was not ready after a few, after about five and, ACC and Rex games Steiner got poked in the eye right. and has been sick right right so like but even before that like he was he had a like a one to four assist to turnover ratio in ACC play so he was not ready for ACC minutes and then Rice isn't on the team like you expected him to be. So you go from Badul playing an anticipated 30 minutes a game to 36 minutes a game, and, and that's too much. Um, so this team has, like, MJ Collins should probably be the second guard off the bench for an NCAA tournament team. He's starting. 
Yeah. Uh, and I think he and he's played well in moments. Yeah, he but, has. But, but he might score 17 against yeah. Duke. But then the next game he scores zero. Yeah, and he's playing good defense, but you need his contr- he's his scoring Yeah, absolutely. And and he's finding ways to contribute in more ways. I mean, this again, like like I think he's gotten better. He's when it's not Sean Padula bringing the ball up the court, it's MJ Collins. You know, he he's made himself valuable to be able to play multiple roles and things like that. But uh, for me, I, I ever I think it was fairly not fairly obvious, but I, I've thought since Virginia Tech's start in ACC play that they weren't going to make the tournament. And my mind always looks ahead. So my mind is always like, okay, what are they going to do at guard in the transfer portal? Because they didn't sign any guards at a high school and. As we know, you know, just but even if you had signed a guard out of high school, it, they're not necessarily they're not ready to play big minutes as freshmen most of the time. So who are they going to get in the transfer portal? First of all, you have to replace Hunter Couture, who's a very very good player. who leads the ACC in offensive rating. R- right. I should add it, it, right, and was the Virginia Tech's all time three point shooter, um, excellent defender, just a very very good all around basketball player who knows the system. First, you have to replace his production. You need to get another starter, too, if you want to take a step forward. You can't just say, oh, well, we know that it's going to, we know the light's going to come on for MJ Collins next year, or we know that the light's going to come on for Brandon Rexstein or, 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 or Young, or, you know, any of those guys. You can't assume that. Tech has to go out and get two guards, two starting caliber guards in the portal this year. That's how they get themselves back to possibly and, and make go a get a four. Uh, I would play nickel at the four. Yeah, but I I think you need a four for I mean yeah, if nickel's your only one. option right, at the four. Right, yeah, right, and then yeah. who knows about Kid Poti? Yeah. yeah, if you don't if you don't play nickel at the at the four, then uh, you've got to go get two fours, <laughs> unless you want to play the true freshman at least twenty minutes a game. Yeah, Needs right? everything. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a yeah. pretty well lengthy yeah, you probably, checklist for the offseason. You, you probably don't need a center if Petit and Kid come back. In fact, I know you don't. But but yeah. that's a conversation between Mike Young and them. Yeah. But but yeah. Uh, I think there's a lot of work to do. I, I, th- I think I think Mike Young's a very, very good coach. I, but I think, as I've said this before, in hindsight, hiring Mike Jones as a top assistant, it was a high-risk, high-reward thing. Like Rodney Rice came here. Buchanan came here because of Mike Jones. But then he left just about as soon as he got here. So those guys are out the door. So And you've seen what Buchanan's doing at George Mason. Uh, whether, George Washington. George Washington, that's right. Um he would not necessarily – he wouldn't be putting up those exact numbers at Virginia Tech, obviously, but he would be a good, solid rotational piece. And Rodney Rice would be starting. So you're down – instead of that you, instead of that higher actually improving Virginia Tech's team, it's actually made it worse because of the guys he brought in left. And you're down a starter and a half. If, if, if you would just sign two other players, even if they were just average players, you would at least have depth. Uh, Virginia Tech does not have two All-Americans like the women's team does, so that means they need more depth, right? They they need more versatility. They they need more options. And they don't really have. They it. don't have it, especially in the backcourt. Did you have something, Mandy? Yeah, just big picture. I mean, they needed one of those two last week. I mean, even if you don't beat Duke, you look at an eminently beatable Miami team that just went up and scored thirty-eight points in Charlottesville in a pretty bad loss up there. I mean, that Miami team was there for the taking and they the Ho- lost to Louisville and the Hokies went 0 two against them. I mean, their last three games with Miami, they lost to an NC state team. That's not exactly hitting on all cylinders right now. And they lost by 22 at Virginia and scored 38 points. I mean, that's a team you have to beat. And, you know, essentially Virginia tech's paying itself into a corner. There's only one path out and that's, you know, going to the chapel Hill and winning and going on a streak here at the end of the year. Cause you know, if you run off a lot of wins against teams that are also not going to make the tournaments, you're probably not impressing anybody. So, uh, you know, there's really one path uh, forward to make some sort of magical run here, and those don't happen uh, very often. It happened a couple of years ago, I was gonna say, but it it's but it's you know that is rare. You're you're not going to get that a lot. And I don't know this this team just doesn't feel like they have it. Yeah, I, I mean the the most I mean Tech won three three straight ACC games earlier in the year, but just just very hit or miss and i think the depth comes back into play and um you know people want to harp on on champadula and yeah he's not he's turning the ball over a lot but he was also being asked to do everything yeah. and um i think hunter couture is is the key to this team 
Um, I had a con- I, I mentioned it to Will earlier. We were talking about this um, in the office before we came on the podcast. Hunter Couture leads the ACC in offensive rating, effective field goal percentage, and true shooting percentage. He he's one of the best offensive players, and teams have defended him so well. That's made Tech's life so difficult. Tyrese Proctor, I think, is a great example. When Duke came in here, Proctor, who's about 6'5 and very lengthy, they put Proctor on Duke, and I talked about this last week. They put Proctor on Couture and also switched Filipowski onto him. Miami did a, did a really good job of, um, of, of switching guys around on him. I'm trying to remember uh, which guards, but, but I think it's like, Keeping guys fresh, like teams are keeping guys fresh to, to, to stick on Couture, and Couture has to play defense and guard the other team's best player too. So it's just it's a, it's exhausting there. If he's not getting looks, that's those are fewer looks he has, which means more looks probably for Padula. And I, I think the biggest thing is like Padula is playing at a high level, but the ball's also in his hands a lot more, which means he's going to turn the ball over a little bit more. And, and, and when you play 36 minutes, there's automatically going to be more turnovers because yeah. you're in the game more than almost and, any other point. And, and I got, I don't even, Sean Badula maybe came off the court for like a minute or two in, in that Miami game. But it's like, if he's playing almost every single minute, that takes a toll. And I think just all, all around, across the board, Tech could be playing better, playing better basketball. And, you know, when, when Sean Badula's, turning the ball over because he's on the floor too much and Trump, Hunter Couture is not getting enough shot attempts because teams are defending him so well and, and Tech's um, fighting to to get him back door and, and get him good looks. And then MJ Collins isn't scoring the ball from three. You need contributions from Tyler Nickel and those have ebbed and flowed. And Robbie Barron, I think, has played pretty well as of late. And I think Elijah Poteet and Lynn Kidd have been on and off. But like for this team to, to be good, everybody has to be playing on together. And... Tech hasn't been doing that right now. Well, a lot coming up for Virginia Tech Athletics in the next week. You got, uh, obviously, on Thursday night, the big one against NC State down in Raleigh for women's basketball, men's basketball at Notre Dame on Saturday. Softball gets going this week uh, on Friday. They start with their one of their tournaments. They got Illinois and Auburn both on Friday, so that's big. Baseball's coming up next week. Wrestling's got Duke inside uh, the Moss Arts Center uh, coming up. And then on Saturday, the next day, so it's Friday and then Saturday, they're back in Castle against George Mason. Lacrosse starts their season on Saturday with a home game at Thompson against VCU. So uh, if you're a fan of the Olympic sports as well, it's a big weekend for that as those get underway. Uh, Some big basketball games coming up. What's coming up uh, for you guys editorial content-wise? Oh, goodness. Uh, Brandon Patterson has sent another uh, scouting report on, and I forget who he sent it on, but I'll post that later today. Um, I'm going to do my half-star ratings. That, that'll be released tomorrow. Um, I wanted to wait till after signing day just in case Tech signed anybody else, which they're not <laughs> going to. I've already mostly finished the article, um, but it'll be posted tomorrow. My normal Friday Q&A. Uh, David, I know you've, you've got a lot of stuff coming up as well with women's basketball and, and we got and we I, got, I have a lot of stuff going coming up yeah. for, well I first I wanted to ask I saw Brandon Patterson I did not have a chance to read Brandon Patterson's uh he wrote one on Gilliam Gill- Gilliam yesterday how are those what like what what should people when people are reading those scouting reports what should people be keeping an eye out for I think uh the, the just the type of player uh that the tech uh recruits like he's doing work on the defensive tackles now and so like Pollard is gone, but he's kind of replaced by Aeneas Peoples, a very similar style player. Uh, Mario Kendricks is gone. He's replaced by Gilliam, who's a very similar style player. Um, so I, I think you've got Gilliam and Fuga in one defensive tackle spot that are very similar in how they play. And then those other two guys I mentioned in the other spot who were, very, yeah, who were very similar in their style of play. And that's the sort of things I'm, I'm taking out Interesting. of that. I think it's pretty good roster management. Yeah. It's just some like-for-like like replacement. Interesting. That's cool. I'm, I'll have to check that out. Uh, oof, we got a lot of stuff going on. Uh, I'll be down in Raleigh. we got women's basketball stuff coming up for me. Um, Jack, who's behind the scenes producing, will be covering the, the wrestling matches this weekend in Blacksburg. Wrestling. Uh, when I get off of this set, I'm going to go post uh, two feature stories, from one for softball, one for baseball. Uh, Sam Mostow wrote one for us on softball. Raza 
Umarani wrote one for us on baseball. Uh, I also, Chip Grubb will have a, a, a weekend preview of, of the Auburn of the Auburn tournament, I should say. Uh, yeah, baseball starts next weekend. Uh, very, very, very busy. Very busy. Not for me. I got a mailbag going tomorrow. <laughs> and then it's just like trying to figure out stuff to write. I'm working on trying to get pry at some point on uh, the off season. I'll have more content with that, but uh, might help out with more basketball stuff here down the stretch. Uh, some interesting games coming up. Sweet. Pe- they could make it more interesting for you if today was actually signing day. Yeah. Yeah. If there was anybody signing, but alas, it's a time <laughs> of the past. Well, gentlemen, thanks for your time. It was a fun one. That'll do it for episode 346 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. For Jack Brizendine, Andy Bitter, David Cunningham, Chris Coleman, I'm Giovanni Heater saying so long from Blacksburg, and we'll see you next week.